Welcome to the Light Gray Art Lab podcast. I'm Lindsay Knoll. I'm Jenny Buckler. I'm Chris Heine. And this week, we're going to ask you, what is in the box? We had a conversation as we were putting together the Guts exhibition, Call for Art, and we were trying to find relationships between the insides of things and the outsides of things. And as you guys have probably seen, if you've been to our blog lately, we actually have two really awesome Call for Arts that are up right now that you guys can take a peek at. Um, the Guts exhibition is going to be happening this April. Um, Jenny, maybe you can tell people a little bit about it. Sure. So the opening reception for Guts is going to be April 17th uh, from 7 to 10 p.m. We are currently selecting artists that will be a part of the project. Um, we'll also have featured artwork by Lana Crooks, which will be very exciting. She does lots of fiber art. Um, so we'll have both originals and prints, and they'll all be inspired by the combination of inside and outside or your expectations or reality. So it'll be a very fun and interactive sort of uh, show about curiosity and discovery and things like that. And to kind of counterbalance that, which has nothing to do with guts, but that just so happens to be another call for art, we have the Cosmos call for art up right now. Um, If you're interested in the cosmos, <laughs> constellations, astrology, astronomy, uh, the entirety of the universe. We are putting together a hundred person show that recreates the beauty of the night sky. Um, we're looking for artists that want to dive into the metaphors and stories, the myths, like all of the different things that go into um, all the imagery that we see when we look up at the sky at night. And we're actually going to do something really interesting. Um, We won't spill it all right now, but we will tell you that when you come into the gallery in September, you will see everything illuminated in a very interesting way. So it'll be a very experiential exhibition, and we'll also be printing a 100-card astrology deck so that you can see what kinds of constellations influence each other, and you can get some answers from the cosmos for yourself. So that call for art um, is up on the blog right now. I'm sure Chris will also Mm -hmm. tell you where the blog is at the end of the podcast. But if you go there, both calls for art, I think, are active for another week or two. So dates are on there, I believe. Yep. So you can apply for the Guts exhibition through the end of February. And you can apply for the Cosmos through the beginning, like the first week of March. So we'll be announcing the artist shortly after because we have some really cool like timelines for the show and really cool extra stuff that's going on. So it's sort of quick. But if you guys want to check it out, it's all available there. It is quick. So let's go way back to five minutes ago when I was chatting to you guys about about what is in the box. When we were coming up with examples of things that have a really intriguing outside and maybe more intriguing inside, we thought of all sorts of random things. One of my favorite things, and is very, is pertinent to the right word? Relevant? Um, yeah, pertinent. D- d- to this, I don't know what you're trying to say, so okay. maybe <laughs> well, it's the right word. Yeah, I don't know. to this time maybe of year. Maybe it's pertinent. It, it might be pertinent to this time of year. But just a couple days ago, we had Valentine's Day, and as you guys know, some people love it, some people hate it, but I totally love it because for the last several years, I have bought a box of chocolates for my friend Adam and sat there and watched him eat every single one. Best thing that you can do for a good friend of yours is go get one of those crusty box of chocolates from Walgreens and take the wrapper out that tells you what goes where and then watch them eat all the bits on the inside. I think one of the the cool parts is there's some really good ones in there, like some, I don't know, fudge, caramel. And then there's some gross ones, like those cherry ones that look like like kind of like whitened eyeballs 
in the center of a yeah. chocolate crust. Or like the toothpaste one, which is the most delicious one out of all. Which one is toothpaste? <laughs> it's like a white goo that just spills out, and it's kind of minty, but it's kind of like, it's not really, it's not nougat, it's not like chewy, it's just kind of a goo. Pepper York and patty? Pepper and patty oh, thing. no, no. No, that's like a substance. That's like a, what's that, a plasma, if we're going to categorize <laughs> it into a thing. Like this one is more like, like gack, like from the 90s, except for toothpaste flavored and also inside a chocolate. So it's sort of like playing Minesweeper, which, by the way, I saw the other day that Chris beat a pretty significant game of Minesweeper. I don't even know that that game was anywhere anymore. I know. I had a weird hankering to play some Minesweeper, and I was like, I'm going to boot up my phone. Windows 95? No, I, it was, I, I downloaded <laughs> it from my phone because I was just like... This is the game I need right this second of all yep. the games that I've got. Yep. And it was a, what, it was like, it was like 100, 150 mines across and 150 mines down. Some Yeah, it was gigantic. big. It was a giant one. That game is logic to a point, but eventually you get to a point where you have deduced all the ones you can deduce, and then you just have to start randomly Wait, what's get... logic about it? Because it's got numbers, random? you know? It, it tells you... It tells you how many, how many bombs edges are, touching, are a bomb. touching a bomb. Yeah. Oh. So, like, it'll... I be... never knew that. I thought you were just, like, pushing around squares. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, why is this number one here? I yeah, no, there, you use logic. Like, the first guess is always, obviously, just a guess. Yeah, so I'll do. I'll spend like I don't know five minutes and clear out like a whole level, and then there'll be like a couple little hidden areas that just I ha- I have used all of the information at my disposal because it's not really a hard logic puzzle. It's pretty easy. And then you just like click around, and yes. then eventually you get to the point where there is literally zero information left, and then you just have to randomly click. And if you have spent like five or ten minutes clearing everything else, and then you just randomly click and hit a bomb, then I was like, this game's stupid. But then I just wanted to beat it once, and now I beat it once, so I'm done. You're done. You deleted it off your phone. I beat the biggest, hardest map. And then I was like, yep. You're I like, didn't... I'm a game master at the end. Yeah. I got my <laughs> Life is over. Well, I was going to say, that's one of those games where it doesn't have a ton of graphics, if any. It's some squares. Yep. And some numbers. And some flags. And it's 100% yeah. curiosity. And so that leads me to a question. What is a topic or what is an item that has a really deceptively different outside and a very intriguing inside? A human being. Oh, how adorable. <laughs> what a nice... That's either adorable or it's like horrific. <laughs> What's in here? Yeah, it was Friday the 13th know. and Valentine's Day. So on Friday the 13th, it would have been horrific. And on Valentine's Day, it would have been adorable. Yes, it would have been emotional. It, w- it would have been so nice. I was going to say uh, uh, Kinder Surprise Deception. Is that the one that's like a real goo in the inside? No, no, that's a Cadbury cream egg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which Gross. is also deceptive. Like it is like boogers. It's like a loogie on the inside. It's a delicious loogie. I feel like that is a fine thing. <laughs> but there's the, the Kinder Surprise. I don't think we get those. You have to go buy those in Mexico or Canada or something like that, like cross the border to get your stash of, of Kinder Surprise. But there's a piece of plastic usually in there. That's why, because it, um, some Americans are stupid. And we eat the plastic, too, for some reason. So they don't let us have it anymore. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> so stupid. But what What about you guys? All the candy in Iceland, every single piece of it, you're like, look how awesome this looks. And then every single piece tastes like licorice. Yeah, that actually is kind of a bummer. I feel like some people <laughs> would be into that, but it's probably why they sell it there. Those guys are probably all into it. I don't know. I, I don't know anyone who's into licorice. Okay. What about you, Chris? Actually, I feel like a lot of houses are like that. 
You're some, like, what some a houses nice... are so beautiful on the outside, and then the inside they are a trash heap. Much less, and more surprisingly, are ones that look whatever from the outside, and then inside they are perfectly manicured and decorated. And it's sort of an interesting distinction of which one you're going to work on. Being a are you talking about like your house? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well I'm saying, I'm not like, saying my house. How many cats are in this house? I'm not saying my house is interesting, wonderful on the outside and bad on the inside, or vice versa. It is roughly the same on both sides. Do you think so? <laughs> You think so? Maybe it is. That's... Some people spend all their time manicuring the outside of their house because people see it and other people don't care what the outside of the house looks like because they don't live in the outside. They live in the inside. I think it's interesting to when you're walking the dogs, just kind of like sideways glance and be like, what's going on in there? What's going on? In oh, because Chris is a peeping Thomas. Basically. Well, I always <laughs> he says, yeah. what's it's in there? I mean, I do that if I go on a walk at night, too. <laughs> you and do, everyone you has do. their big yeah. fat picture windows. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's right a pervert in this office except for poop. Well, yeah. I Peeps. His name is Peeps. I feel like he has to be a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Poor Peeps. All right. Um, well, I well, think now there's, that that's there's a, something the open. just interesting. And it's not even like what's going on. I don't want to see what the people are up to. But it's just <laughs> what comparing yourself. Peeps. Yeah. Com- they're like your neighbors. And, and you're like, like who is that? On. What are they doing? What's in there? I also <laughs> always pay attention to it because people always have their TVs like facing their windows. What's going on? In that if TV they're watching show? TV or if they're playing a video game or whatever, then I'm like, what a waste. <laughs> So it's just your your way if they to don't judge have the people. same my, taste. Yeah, yeah. If they don't have the same taste as me, then garbage. It's a waste. Well, there's there's those houses that I think have porches that are covered in stuff, and then you're like, maybe there's treasures in there. That's probably just me. And I'm just like, look at all that trash on that porch. There's probably treasures in there. It's probably all plastic garbage. Probably. It probably is. There's a house yeah. on the way to work, and there's one entrance on the very top that has a little tiny porch that has bags and bags and bags of aluminum cans on it. And over the winter, those bags have become plentiful and bountiful. And there are so many, in fact, that I think they might look like they're going to spill out onto the bottom neighbors. But I see them all the time, and I'm like, I wonder if this is just where they stash their sweet cans, or if the entirety of that house has been so filled with cans that they needed to move out onto the porch. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's a, that is a trick. We had a big conversation when we were putting together the call for art. And one of the things that I kept coming back to is that I was thinking about the insides of things. And I remembered Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. The whole thing is about the Ark of the Covenant. And it's a, and Jenny knows the actual history um, behind it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because if you grew up with very little understanding of what the Ark of the Covenant is, and you watched that movie, you would have thought that... The, the Ark of the Covenant was Pandora's box because everything that Steven Spielberg did made the biggest connection between the two with all of the ghosts flying out and all the bad stuff like shooting around and all of these things that were really intense. But we were trying to find a way to talk about that concept across history being this like magical, mystical box, this this like wonderful outside thing. Like it contains so much power on the inside. Yeah, there's so much power in there. And they always give a box to somebody who can't handle it, usually. Yeah. They're like, I'm going to give this to you. And then you're like, why did you give it to that person? They're just going to open it and like the evil's going to fly out or whatever's <laughs> going to happen. Um, or they're going to look at it and their face is going to melt off. Like that concept was so interesting to me because I think even as I was thinking about King Tut's tomb and the idea of the curse, like when you open that tomb all of the scientists and everybody else that that have gone and disturbed his remains and his his stuff this like 
incredible otherworldly thing has come out of the depths of a very enclosed and very private space. And I was thinking about all how like how this concept spans across different um, kinds of cultures and kinds of boxes and kinds of things like that. Can you guys think of another coveted box? I was thinking of Indian in the cupboard or anything like that, where there's like something on the inside that you can't see or like locked boxes like that. Narnia? Yeah, anything like that, where there's like a locked something and on the other side is like a whole new world. Wasn't the Adams Family, isn't that where they had like like an area where you had to put your hand up and pull a cord? Yeah, yep. Yeah, like secret passages and like... yeah. All that kind of stuff. And didn't you mention one? What was your example the other day, Chris? We were talking and you said there's a box. You never get to see what's in it. But the characters the whole time are trying to to take possession of this box. Pulp Fiction? And do you ever know what's in there? No, you don't know. That's what they call in filmmaking a MacGuffin. What's a MacGuffin? It's a thing that doesn't matter that just like perpetuates a story to happen. Well, that seems like, like it should it, like, matter. Like it keeps you wondering. Tell us another one. Um, well, the- I think lots of movies in general and video games and all sorts of stories have a MacGuffin where it's just kind of what puts the plot in motion. Would you say that that's the same with Uncharted? Yeah. So there's nothing really, but there is something really? Right. The point of the idea the of, point of making that game is not so you can ultimately get this amazing thing, item, whatever it is. It's to the have journey. the journey and the adventure and tell the story. But in, you have to have a curiosity. The characters have to have a curiosity to follow this thing throughout the Right. There has to be something that like ties these characters together and brings them into the world. And I think everyone for Pulp Fiction specifically was speculating what is in that box. People thought it was marcellus wallace's soul and there was like a band-aid on the back of his neck but from what i hear that was just because he cut himself shaving he's got a bald head and he cut himself shaving and quentin tarantino just thought it looked cool and he said just leave it because he had like this you know shot of the back of his head and had like it was like a perfectly symmetrical shot with this band-aid right in the center of back of his head and people are always like what is it is it supposed to symbolize your soul or whatever and quentin tarantino said doesn't matter what it is it's not supposed to be really anything it's just it's a macguffin huh do you think that stuff happens in real life then do i think do you think that's (laughs) the reason why when i watch what's that uh it, they're not, it's not a treasure hunting show, but they go and they, they search for all these legends and things like that. Do you think that's the same kind of thing? Where they're like, I've heard that there's a monster in like this part of Borneo, and now I'm going to go look for it. Um, yeah, I think those shows, because they know they're not going to find those monsters. Mm-hmm. I guess the monsters technically are MacGuffin to basically do a travel show. They basically do a they travel a and culture kind of... Yeah, they need a reason to head to places to basically have this... I don't know what the name of that show is, but I it's basically it. like a tongue-in-cheek that one that you're watching travel now. log. Yeah, Ancient Aliens. No, that one's a good one, too. Oh. Yeah, and it was like myth, myth something. Yeah, but he, he would find these like little tidbits of information. I, don't, I have no idea if it was from like some internet search that he did. Actually, yes, it was, because I remember he would always have a piece of like printer paper that they'd, they'd tear the edges off to make it look old. <laughs> but it was just like a black and white like piece of printer paper. And I was always like, hmm, you guys could have probably printed it on some cream paper. Right. Or like and so you don't, you don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> like your craft is, is not that great. You don't so. watch that show to find out if he's really going to find Chupacabra or whatever. No, usually you watch him because he's freaking out and falling down a cave and like right. being stupid. So the like, monster would be, I guess, the MacGuffin for him to have these hilarious antics and for him to fly around the world and talk to people in all these different places about basically about their history and traditions and things like that, but kind of in a silly sense. So here's a question. 
So in real life, people have done all sorts of interesting things to find the guts of something. They're so intrigued and they're so interested and they're so curious that they have done everything from dissect, you know, beasts and people and whatever else to, you know, searching in into like the depths of old crypts and whatever else. Um, why do you think that that is part of human nature? Why is that overpowering, like, curiosity such, you know, such a thing that drives us to do things like, for example, what do they say? They've got 600 finalists now that are willing to go and, and live on Mars and die on Mars. And mm-hmm. the idea of, like, this unknown journey is so powerful for some people that they're willing to be like, well, that's that's a thing. Like, the mystery is the thing. I'm chasing the mystery. Or people that are willing to put themselves in the middle of a really treacherous situation, like crawling down caves that have never been explored. Or It's something. probably just a thirst for knowledge. I mean, for the Mars people, I don't think it's a real mystery i don't think they're gonna like get there and be like wow it's totally different than i expected because i think we have a pretty good idea of what to expect yeah Mm -hmm. but it's just the thought of um collecting the data and kind of pushing it forward the gathering of knowledge you know you think that the drive to be somebody recognized for that is more important than the actual experience for those people like for example Um, like what i don't think they need even to be recognized i think that they just have a severe thirst for science and discovery or something like that and that's yeah, so well, it's I not just that they want to be patted on the back like, i don't think if you're they're the guy going to mars I mean, so that somebody who... can say this guy went to mars i think it's more because they want to have that experience and they want to be at the forefront of this expedition whether it's because they watch star trek or just because they are the type of person who you know there are just certain types of people who are always kind of putting themselves either on the back burner, I guess I would say, you know, kind or, of like sacrificing personal. Those to guys make... are also like putting themselves in history, like inserting themselves on into purpose. Like, yeah. Like They're anyone who's like trying splash. to discover a cave or like trying to like jump the Grand Canyon or whatever they're doing. I, <laughs> they're like that, like, oh, I'm sacrificing myself. I, I think know. it's more self fulfilling than that. Like some sort of like they feel purposeful in their mission to do something. Yeah. But I do think there's also like an element of surprise or a shift in like your knowledge of things. I kept imagining and this is totally different than like discovering a cave, but I was imagining like sifting through like garbage bag or something and the difference between like that and then like opening somebody's treasure chest or something like that is what would be fun about that or the same reason people dumpster dive is like the what what's inside nobody knows and so nobody it could knows, be yeah. absolutely anything that's why um what's that show where people like open up storage units like yeah. storage wars where they're like there could be treasure or it could be trash or nobody a dead knows, body or a dead body or like <laughs> a car in there and so they're trying to use their best guess they're gambling the on the adventure yeah and yeah. so it's like sifting through that stuff you could find something that's like the best thing ever or it could just be a fun experience so the quest for it really does take over so the curiosity is more important than the actual outcome yes but i do think people who are doing big things like going to mars i don't think it's self-sacrificing well think think about this too so what what about the people that go out into the arizona desert or wherever they go or montana and then they they go into a side of a cliff and they take their tiny dentist tools and their paintbrush and they scrape away dirt to find maybe a dinosaur bone. And they spend their entire lives digging in the same spot to find something. 
I don't know if they spend their entire lives. <laughs> a lot of them do. In one spot. In a yeah, actually, in this the same I actually believe they do. And I actually believe that other people do the same thing with like cultural ruins. They spend their entire life getting to know like one specific area or one specific mm-hmm. part of history within that area. So they become like a master of finding the details yeah. and putting things together. Well, I mean, I think they have things to go off of, like why they would dig in a certain area. They have clues that are sort of like leading them to that spot. But the but the promise of something being found is greater than like the idea of just not finding anything forever. So you're like, what if we come across this? It's the same reason people like continue to gamble or do whatever where they're like, one more quarter could be it. Or you're like, one more inch down could be the thing. Right. No, and you that know? would drive me nuts. And we did have a podcast a while ago about, about, and I forget what it's called again, Chris, but the time you spend the towards a goal, even if you don't know if you're going to get anything, the more time you spend, the, the closer you think you are to actually getting it. Oh. What am I talking about? Like, oh, you're talking about the, the sunk costs like yeah. psychological principle. You're like, or I've done this for so long, it can't be that much further, you know? Like <laughs> I was thinking about that too, where every time I watch a documentary about finding ruins underneath the ocean, you know, or they're looking for a ship that's been gone for a long time and they feel like they kinda know where it is. I mean, you always root for the people that spend their time looking for that stuff because you imagine that answers will be uncovered about what happened or you know, who the people were or why it's there or, you know, the forensics behind it or something like that. I mean, you know what went down. You know it's end result. Like, you know what's mm-hmm. down there. Um, but then there's the details, too, that people might just want to see for themselves. But I imagine, too, the cost, like the cost of time and the cost of money that it must take to go and, and have those expeditions and to look for those, like, little intricate, tiny things is immense. And so the curiosity must just take over an entire person's life like if that's just what makes it important for people to do things like that you know i mean do you feel like that relates to anything that you do in your daily life too i do feel like that's how careers are in general you think so where everyone's kind of striving for the next we have a friend who's moving out of town and he's always talking about how the next job he's going to get is kind of what he's always been looking for even though he's not really but sure. But then he what gets the that one is. and it doesn't fulfill him in the way that he thought it would. And then he starts looking for the next one. And then he's like, this is kind of, you know, this is like my dream job. This is exactly what I wanted. And then he gets it. And then it's kind of like an ongoing. So it's not really a curiosity. Besides, will I have a job that ever fulfills every single bit of my soul and person, I guess. But I it's mean, strong enough to make him continue to look for things. And I think everyone does that. I mean, I think everyone's constantly kind of like thinking about where they are and where they want to be and their. So would you liken his new job offer as the outside of the box and then the experience is when he actually gets yes. there and he feels Yes, I mean, I think it definitely he- is. It's like when you have a new opportunity, a new job or something like that, you can imagine in every way it's going to be like this. I mean, I think like people who work, who want to work at a place like Pixar from the outside, imagine, you know, their childhood dreams being realized in this wonderful utopia of a workplace and then they have the job and they're like this might be great and i'm contributing to good things but it is ultimately still earth <laughs> and still life you know it's well, here's still a, a question. job do you think that once you open that box 
whether it's somebody who is like actually finding like a wreck somewhere and they find a treasure chest and they open it and they see something in there like say they found old like barnacled up like disintegrating doubloons <laughs> or whatever like they may not be worth anything anymore but don't you think that their value is also and same thing with the job is completely determined by the perspective of whoever it is that's yeah. looking at it so when you look at maybe it is a rusty pile of coin shaped items and you're like this is treasure or you're like this is a piece of trash i can't sell this this is you know yeah like like i feel like that is a huge part of why some things are celebrated and why the insides are sometimes celebrated more than others is the perspective of the person that found it and how they're willing to kind of embrace it as part of their personal experience do you guys feel like that's something that changes with the way that you stumble across things there's this quote that i super like about the journey to a sacred place is just as sacred as the place itself and so it's all about the process of getting there and so if you got there at the end and opened a pile of trash then you're like my entire life was a waste or you're like look at all the things that i did in the process and i think that i'm more process oriented While you were talking before, I was kind of thinking about time capsules. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys ever put trash in in it. Not (laughs) trash, not trash, but like, I mean, kid stuff. Like kid trash, where you're like, here's a drawing of my You're like, here's my Capri Sun. (laughs) Here's my piece of plastic. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we did that. I, I think like, what was it, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that? Like you write letters to yourself and then you open them in high school or something like that? Yeah. Or, yeah. Like, or they like somehow send them to you later or something? You kind of always wish that when that happens, and this maybe says a lot about me, but you kind of always wish that as a fifth or a sixth grader, you had much more like perception of how life worked to, to write yourself a real good letter instead of a, I'm studying math and it's okay. Well, you I think you would cool have to write like, oh. the reverse. You'd have to write to like your younger self to like give insight. But I, well, feel I like think I lo- think it could be valuable if you asked questions and you're like, I've always wanted to be an astronaut. Are you an astronaut now? And then you'll open it and be like, well, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Thank you. Five, like fifth grade me. Make me feel bad. Well, I mean, in that case, too, that probably does say a lot about me where, you know, you'd want to have this connection, like, and I'm sure it comes from all of, like, the TV shows that, that I watch and stuff like that, where they go through a time shift and they always learn something <sighs> magnificent about themselves, you know, that wasn't apparent at the time. But if you opened a time capsule and you found, you know, a letter that was kind of poorly written and it was a school assignment and you were kind of excited but you couldn't articulate yourself, there's mixed emotions in there. But what I do think is really cool, I was in the midst of writing a fake story to put with the call for art and I had, I I wrote it and then I took it off the call for art because it was, it was, it made sense but I figured it would be a better place to tell it here. Mm -hmm. But... So it was a story about, you know, it was like two paragraphs, but it was about going into your great-grandfather's house and having to clean out his home after he's passed on and about uncovering things that filled in little gaps of what you thought you knew about him. So you'd find things stashed in different places, you know, like a lock of hair or like a lock box with a bunch of like antique coins or letters from other people, you know, and just observing in a way like that, I think is sort of a time capsule that I think after the fact has a lot of meaning too. You Have know? you ever done that? 
No. The interesting thing is um, my my dad's parents passed away, but I I wasn't there. We never had to go and, and clean out their stuff. Or, um, I actually didn't attend either of their funerals because they were far away. I took a trip to actually all the way to New York to clean out my, my great uncle's place. Really? And we got, had to, he had no family, he had no one left and he lived in New York. Everyone else had lived in Wisconsin. And so there was no one there to clean out his house. So we had to drive over there and go through every last piece of Stuff. pretty much a stranger's house to me. You know, I was in eighth grade or something. I had never met him or anything. And it, yeah. And a lot of it, we just, you just take it out and burn it because there's nothing oh, to do sad. with it. <laughs> That's, That's a sad, sad story. I've actually gone through a lot of like relatives' houses that have passed on. One of my great grandmas, it probably happened maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. I wasn't, I don't know, I was probably in high school when this happened. But she, after her like husband died, she was a super hoarder, but like with, not with trash, but with like real furniture. And so she would have like a coffee table with like two other coffee tables stacked on top and between would be like sets of dishware and stuff and um, some of the rooms you couldn't go in. So before we could even go in the house to clean it out, they had to empty like, I don't know, a garbage truck or two full of stuff just to get into the rooms. That's Um, crazy. But it was amazing because it really did feel like you could tell the stuff on top of the piles were like newer and the stuff at the bottom were from like 10 years, 20 years back. And so it really was like uncovering the ages. And then the basement of the house had um, like a cellar area and a couple other areas and there was canned vegetables and different things like that. And you could really tell like what she did with her time and how she used things. But it was amazing because we could hardly get in the space. So I don't know how she lived surrounded by so much stuff like it didn't make a lot of sense or it didn't I don't know you probably have your routines as a person that has that much stuff I where suppose. you spend your time in certain places and yeah like she couldn't get rid of anything and collected everything but I know a lot of the furniture at my parents house came from her place and the same with probably like she could furnish everybody's house and the entire extended family you know um, but She'd it was probably be interesting happy knowing that it that went somewhere. It went somewhere. Yeah. Well, we as kids had like a giant bucket, probably like a six or seven gallon bucket full of like costume jewelry from our house and stuff like that. Wow. Where we're just like piles of things. Where you're like, where did this come from? How is this still here? Um, and a lot of the things are like brooches or old like fur coats and stuff and you're like this is cool this is crazy because you could never find anything like this again yeah and it's good that she had it but i'm sure for her to like hold on to each and every one of these things there's probably probably memories in each one of those probably i was gonna say to me it seems like a burden to have that much stuff but i can understand (laughs) and it's funny i think when i talk about this i sometimes talk about the difference between my sister and i and my sister is a she purges everything you know, every mm-hmm. time she moves, she gets rid of stuff. Every time she wants to redecorate, she gets rid of stuff. I mean, it's to the point where sometimes you give her a present and you don't know if she's going to keep it for longer than a couple months, you know? Yeah. And, and that's totally fine. That's just how some people are. For me, I have the opposite where I have, I see kind of like your relative, sort of the, the emotional value of certain items as much as like the, the, value value of a, of an item you know um and it's interesting because you think i might have a different perspective being a product designer you know realizing mm-hmm. how these things were created but i also have like a huge appreciation for things that are not from my time 
the, the craft yeah. was different. The materials are different. It's just a completely different process because of the difference between computers and manufacturing and stuff like that. So I have an appreciation for the hard way, you know, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So a lot of that furniture and things like that, I, I, a lot of stuff in our house is made by people that 50 years ago, 60 years ago, things like that, where you can see it and you can see like the hand made aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But I can understand why somebody would have a hard time disconnecting from that. But I also, on the, a completely different side, being a little kid is probably different than walking in there as a full-grown adult and being like, oh yeah. my God. Because you think of like, like you said, the lifestyle of a person. But you also probably have a little bit of the same sort of like enthusiasm. If you're disconnected enough from that person that the emotions of their passing aren't, aren't kind of interfering with the exploratory Tory <laughs> moment. Yeah. It might be kind of like walking into a vault somewhere. Yeah. And I think that's what more what it did feel like. Like she hadn't lived there in probably 10 years because she was in a nursing home and stuff. And even for every single person in that family, I don't think anyone had been there in probably 20 or 30 years. Wow. And so it was a surprise for everyone. Um, and I think a lot of people were really excited about it. I've also been through other people's house. Um, like estate sales and stuff? Yeah, well, like my great aunt passed away a couple years ago, and then recently Pat's great aunt just passed away, and so we've been through a lot of people's house recently that, um, like, it's it's weird, and I don't know why, th- like, certain things have value and certain things don't. Like, going through a house, there wasn't anything that I was like, oh, I need this, or I need this to remember them by, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, which maybe that's just because I also... I don't like having a bunch of stuff, but it's just like it doesn't have the same, I don't know, emotional need or something like that. A lot of the things were also still in packages or still in, still had tags on them. And so I was like, if they didn't care about it, then I certainly don't care about it. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, it's such a strange thing too. I mean, I think like all of those things define a person in a little bit because you can kind of see how it connects dots between them and their things and their lifestyle. Um, But that's like back with with what you were saying, Chris, about you see the outside of somebody's house and it's manicured and normal and whatever else. And you go to the inside and there's a completely separate world that you just, you never see. Um, I was thinking about that just because there's a lot of stuff that I, I find that the, the nature of some of our calls for art are very exploratory in the fact that we ask people to dig deeper into a concept and understand it on a different level than they would if they were just kind of talking about it. In fact, you have a class right now that you're teaching that's all about that. It's all about going to a place and looking at the external other things that are happening around something that you think you know really well. Right. When you talk with your students, for example, if you take them to a location that they know very well, like Uptown. Yeah, we did go to Uptown. Like looking around, looking at things you don't normally think of when you're in that space. Yeah, well, every single time I have them focus on something else. And and last Monday, it was the prompt to um, look at the passage of time. So I made everyone do drawings, sort of set up camp for an hour and do drawings every five minutes of the exact same thing. So they were looking at changes in the people who were there. They focused on like a barista or something like that at a coffee shop, kind of looking at how they dealt with each customer, things like that. The passage of time just in in any way they could kind of observe. Uh, They had little, very little time to sit there and really get nitpicky about what they were drawing. They were just 
trying to capture the same scene over and over and over again with the small changes that happen. So that specifically was kind of the point of that day. But previously we had gone to um, United Noodle, which is like an Asian grocery store. And they were just kind of supposed to draw food, draw packaging, draw all sorts of things. And when we were there, everyone was so kind of excited and they were showing each other things that they found and things like that. And when we got back, I said, see, you could do the exact same project or, you know, you could explore drawing food and packaging and things like that at any grocery store. But the level of your sensory awareness when you're in a place like United Noodle because everything is so foreign is super heightened. And then I said, the point was going forward, try to approach every assignment we do with the amount of kind of investigative observational eye openness that they had while they were at United Noodle. Do you think that people, and this was part of your assignment, was you had everybody spend five bucks on random food? Yes. And then you had them take them back to the classroom and not just draw the food in the packaging, but actually taste the food that they purchased. So you asked people to go out of their comfort zone and pick something up that was interesting. Didn't you have stuff like barbecued cuttlefish, shrimp crackers? Yeah, like- we had all sorts of stuff. And I knew they, you know, I knew a lot of them probably would get like candy and stuff like that. But my general advice, if they were trying to figure out what they should buy, is the less they can read or understand about what it is they're buying, the better. So if there was absolutely zero English on it, then I would recommend that over something that said like, you know, mango bean paste or something like that. I would, you know, I would, <laughs> yeah. I would say get the one that you have no idea what it is. Yeah. Um, Cause it's so, a completely different experience. Right. So they had like zero expectation about what, what flavor they were, whether it was going to be sweet or savory or who knows what it would be a complete surprise. And do you think that most people attack food that way in general? They're just like, I kind of know what this is, so I'm going to go with this one on the menu that I get. And so that exploratory process doesn't necessarily happen for a lot of people when they go to a restaurant or they go somewhere. Right. Um, I think people stick with what they know. And then that week they were supposed to be drawing food. They were supposed to be, every time they went out, they were supposed to draw as much as they could about the people, places, things, whatever, whatever kind of like define that experience for them. And I was like, if you go try and order something that you wouldn't normally order, if you go get coffee, get something you have never gotten before. I don't know if they could do that every time, but hopefully once or twice they did. So, okay. So here's the thing. So you could get, I bet you could get a person if you said, we're going on an adventure tomorrow. I bet you would get a person to be like, all right, I'm prepared for an adventure. And then they would do something adventurous. Mm -hmm. I think it would be very hard for you to get people to adopt an adventurous, exploratory lifestyle just in general. I feel like that would be a very hard thing to get people to break their routines and to to look inside the box in whatever circumstance they're in and to go out of their way to try stuff that is unfamiliar and kind of scary or kind of not scary even and just not the same thing that you would do. Do you feel like you guys would break your routines to do that? If you made a if you said tomorrow and see I guess you'd have to tell me why you would even do this cuz I I think some people love comfort. So maybe it would just be completely opposite for for a person. But if you said, all right, well, I'm sure. What the heck? Yeah, I think that I think that a lot of people would do that. And I think people. Some people are more they would change. their. Yeah. Some people are more predisposed to just always kind of go out there. And there's definitely times where I go to a restaurant and I'll see something on the menu and I'll be like, that is 
really interesting in some way. I've never either heard of that or seen it or it's just interesting. So I will have to get it because how can I pass up this opportunity? Um, but if I go to a menu and everything's pretty normal and then they have the thing that I like, then I will get the thing that I like because I'm spending money on it and I'm not going <laughs> to... You're not just going <laughs> to throw your money it. in the yeah. 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 What would you do? When I am in travel mode or if I'm in like today is going to be adventurous mode, then yes. But I do think that day-to-day things are very similar, like the times that I wake up and the times that I'm going to work and stuff like that, that it's hard to... I don't know. There's not a lot of other options out there. Like, do you we go to the spy house every day? Stuff? Some things. Like, I look forward to going to the spy house every Me day. Me too. Yes, you know, yes. that's something I look forward to. And I know what I like there. And so I usually get the same thing every day, which is totally fine. But I also sometimes, like, and this isn't like super adventure, but sometimes I'll walk through MCAT and look at the show that's going on. <laughs> or sometimes I'll go through the MIA and look at whatever's going on. Yeah. Or just because it's like in the neighborhood, you know, every once in a while, like get an idea to do something that's so close to my routine, but I'll like infuse something else to in block there. away. Yeah. Yeah. And to block away, I can like add this in. Um, but I think my like daily routine is very similar, which makes it kind of tricky. I don't know. So do you think the curiosity aspect is still ingrained in your guys day to day, but in a different manner then? Do you feel like instead of going out of your way to go down a block and have food somewhere else, you trade that experience for something else that you do while you're researching or while you're talking with somebody or you go out on a limb to have like an emotional connection with somebody else instead of just having a different meal? Well, just in the way I like consume media, I feel like I have an exploratory consumption habit where I... I'm always looking for new things. So I do not, like, for instance, I don't pick one, my favorite game and play my favorite game every time. I want to play a brand new game every single time, even if I have to spend a lot of my time preparing and reading and doing all sorts of things. And same with video games. You know, I rarely stick to one thing. I kind of hop around because I I just want to dabble. So that's where you get your exploratory fix. And yes. it just works its way into your, <laughs> it just, it just is in your... In your routine. Right. I guess I, I, would, I wouldn't consider that exploratory. I think that's just uh, one aspect of my routine. That's interesting. Of changing it up is in your routine. Right. It would break my routine to continually listen to the same album. I know Lindsay likes to pick one song and listen to it on repeat, whereas I like I to pick random things and just listen to them, even if I don't know what they are. So here's my perspective. I have a very obsessive consumption of stuff. I will find a thing that I like and I will consume it so much that often I get bored of it and then I have to find a different thing to explore and consume so much. And so there's a very like binge, bingey kind of situation with me, which I think kind of forces a change in my perception of what's what's interesting. I think a lot of times travel is definitely a catalyst for for going out and, and doing something outrageous. I'm going to tell this story that I think we might have told on Iceland Diaries this last time. But when I was in Iceland with these guys, we had one day to ourselves or two days to ourselves or something like that. And we went hiking up to the side of a cliff where they said there <laughs> there was a like a, a cave that had been dug out by... Um, inhabitants there like a bazillion years ago and i went oh yeah that's awesome and it was in the guidebook so i was like well this is a normal cave this feels good 
So normally, I am not a very active person. I <laughs> I don't do much like active anything. But we had been walking around for quite a bit. And usually when I'm out in those kinds of environments, I'm like, yeah, sure, this sounds good. So we walked probably about a half a mile or so to the edge of the cliff and looked up because it was a, it was a cliff that went up and not down. Yes. Yeah. And there was a chain that was probably 20 feet, 25 feet long, big fat, like huge chain that was attached to the, to the top of the cliff. And at the top of these 25 feet was a tiny hole that must have been that cave. And I went, uh, and then I looked backwards and there was a giant steep hill <laughs> that went like we were standing on a little five foot ledge. There's a giant steep hill behind me and a huge cliff in front of me with a chain on it. And I was like, is this it, you guys? And then we stood there for a second and I was like, are you guys going to do it? Are you guys going to do this? I don't know. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll climb up this thing. And I climbed up it and halfway up I'm like, that would really suck if there is like a beast in here in this cave. But my like, I was like, but I want to see it. I'm here. It's now. I want to see what's in this cave. Like this would be so great. And oh my God, it was so hard to climb up that thing because it wasn't like a there was no stairs or anything. It was no. It was also, hard. if you fell, That'd you be... would have tumbled down the hill forever, forever, forever. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary. <laughs> it was stupid. But I was like adventure, so I climbed up this thing, and two or three feet before the edge of the cliff, there was a little outcropping, and all of a sudden there was this horrible noise, and it was like. And I looked to my left, and there was a really angry, angry, like, Arctic tern baby. And it was humongous. And maybe that's not what it was. Maybe it was some sort of weird seagull. Like, I don't know what it was. It was like a prickly, weird baby thing that was probably about as big as one of my cats. And it was super pissed. And I had to hold on to that rope with every ounce of my <laughs> of my being because had I been so startled, I probably would fall into my doom. Um, and so I was like, do, okay, this is horrible. And I yelled down to those guys. I was like, there's a, there's a crazy bird up here. And then I'm like, should I keep going? And I, for real, was two feet away from the entrance of this cave. My arms were wobbly, like my hands hurt. I was trying to figure out if it was worth it, if I was going to get pecked to death by like a bird on the edge of a cliff. <laughs> and I decided to just scurry back down. It's not worth it. Not worth falling to my doom. <laughs> no. But I was thinking about it and I was like, man, it got me up a stupid rope and almost got my face pecked off by like a, <laughs> a wild baby bird. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, in those cases... Yeah, I like went out on a limb to try something new. I feel like I I wouldn't go down the alley here on like First Avenue and like just, just climb up happens. a fence. Yeah, just to see what was in a hole somewhere like down the street. <laughs> like I feel like that I'd be a stupid idiot for doing that too. But I feel like that would be the wrong like the wrong right way well, to do that on vacation on any trip at all like you're you're more open to what's that what is this thing should i check it out and like they're they i don't know we climbed on boulders and we like looked over the edge of stuff and i don't know i remember when i was in ireland like l- like laying on the ground looking over the edge at the cliffs of moor which is like a 700 foot drop that's insane and you're like would i do this at home 
Probably not. Probably not. Or if I saw a boulder on the side of the road, I wouldn't be like, I'm going to go stand on top of it. Like, I just don't think you have the same mentality. I do in like daily things. Sometimes I'll be like, I want to go on a walk in the middle of the night because that's super fun. Or I want to, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to go on an adventure now. But I always have the mentality of like, it's time for an adventure. So oh, now so like, I will I be adventurous. Planning for my adventure right yes. this second. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm much more adventurous when nobody's looking. And whether that is like scouring the internet or climbing up a rope, <laughs> I feel like that's the reason why I probably don't do a lot of things here in my home turf. I feel like it is less, except for food, of course, or going going places. Um, I just have to be prepared to spend the money, I guess, is pretty mm-hmm. much just all it is, you know, on the on the chat and the chance that it's going to be cool. But for the most part, I feel like if somebody's going to be like, what's that idiot doing climbing up on a thing <laughs> like in the city, you know, like you wouldn't do that because you would be worried about everybody else being like, come on, like, come on. Yeah. You know, so I feel like that is also kind of the fear that that comes with trying just to switch what you do as like a creative person yeah. in some ways, you know, that like adventurous feeling. I, I, I don't know. I'm sure that there's many things you would unlock just kind of taking a step forward with a different medium or a different approach to like making. But I know a lot of things are routine because they work, not because people are boring and they just want to do the same thing over and over. You know, it's because it works for you and it's efficient. And a lot of times that's all you have is your time. Just to wrap things up, if you were to think of the next couple weeks of your life and think about that idea of chasing what's in a box, do you think you could make a commitment today to try to figure out when you're going to do that? Plan your adventure time. This looks like he doesn't want to plan an adventure. <laughs> I feel like we have adventures nonstop because we are always doing things we are not sure of how to do them. And we cram it in there wherever it fits. So I feel like we are adventurous in our activities that we pursue yeah. And they are crammed in so much that there's no more time to plan anything else. So the mystery aspect is who knows if it'll work. Is that what, <laughs> is that, is that what it's like? And that's what I was saying earlier. Like, yes, I go to work every single day. But what I'm doing every single day is drastically different. And so I don't know if that's routine or not. But is that like where I think your it's curiosity just inherent. comes in? I think it does. I mean, we have to like creatively solve problems or talk to people. And But I just think that's like inherent. Like if you were to sit down at your studio desk and like start making a piece of art, you're probably trying new things or playing around with something or trying to draw something you've never drawn before. So there is like creativity in that. I mean, I would commit today to like infusing my regular routine with new things. But I agree with Chris. I do think there's lots of things already that I don't know, we take for granted the fact that, like, he's building a game and, like, we're making prototypes for shows and whatever else we're doing. Yeah. Planning trips. So that's, like, know? so the the outside of that situation, then, if I'm going to put it back to our analogy, is... The box. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, people see the idea of, like, Ray Art Lab. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of what's in the box is what? Random prototypes? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> I was just thinking, what's in the basement? And then, oh yeah, no, that's another thing. If people come in and they go, "What's in the basement?" We're like, "Don't go down there! Don't go down there! Stop going down in the basement!" That one guy, there's some some random person went in the basement the other day, and Jenny Jenny was gonna drop kick him down the street, yeah. 
I'm going to make him climb the chain back up the <laughs> stairs. I get pecked in the eye by a baby bird. Yeah. I guess I would, I would too. I don't know. I, I think I need, I like making commitments of stuff. I, I like, I still like my routines. I still like exploring. I think I, I would also probably make a commitment to, to, I guess, analyzing what's on the inside of something else. So looking at something with a different light, figuring out like what the real guts are and then seeing how that might infuse like some newness in the rest of my routine. And I don't know, I think that would be really fun. So with that, you guys should take a peek at some of the different kinds of things that we've put on the blog. Um, we have some other things coming up that we should mention on we our schedule. Do. So this Thursday night is our next light gray game night. It's feeling lucky. And do I tell them about it, Chris? Um, yeah, sure. These games are games that are all about uh, pushing your luck, bluffing, looking somebody in the eye and asking them if they feel lucky uh, because you're about to trounce them and seeing <laughs> if they believe you or not. Um, so we're going to be playing all sorts of games like that. We're going to be playing things, really fun big group games like Cash and Guns, um, maybe bang the dice game where you have secret roles and everyone's trying to figure out who's the sheriff, who's the renegade, and who is uh, who, whoever, who's working against who. Um, we'll probably play um, Skull, which is one of my favorite bluffing games. Uh, all sorts of games. So yeah, that's sort so of the theme of that fun. night. And when is that again? So it's Thursday, this Thursday, the 17th? February the 19th. 19th. February 19th from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. Cool. That's yes. cool. And then again, you guys should definitely visit the blog. It's blog.lightgrayartlab.com. The two new calls for art will still be up. If you guys know anyone that has missed our previous calls for art, we finally are dropping like a massive chunk of them all at once because that's just how the universe works. But we've got the Guts call for art up and we have the Cosmos call for art and all the details for that and dates are up on the blog. So if you guys have any questions, you can always send us an email. And where can they do all those things, Chris? Oh, well, wait. Before you say that, don't tell people. Don't tell people, Chris. Hold on. Jenny, <laughs> don't we have something else really important coming up? We do. Um, so you guys should mark your calendars for March 20th for the opening reception of Boss Rush, which is a huge, huge exhibition with over 100 artists that are making artwork about their favorite bosses and bad guys and video game villains. Um, so that's coming up on the 20th. And then March 28th and 29th, we are partnering with Glitch for GlitchCon, uh, which will feature all sorts of gaming experts and people who make artwork for video games. There'll be lots of panels and workshops and discussions. Um, so we are actually going to be teaching a workshop there about how to make your own sprite animations for video games. And then we also will have work from Boss Rush that will be featured uh, for an opening reception and party on the 28th. So. Yep. And so we're giving awards to our best of show people. We actually have some guest jurors that we're mm -hmm. going to announce on our blog pretty soon so you guys can see who is judging. Um and then, yeah, where can people find all this information, Chris? Well, you mentioned the blog earlier, but it's blog.lightgrayartlab.com. You can find us on Facebook and give us a like there and stay up to date. You can find us on Twitter. We're at lightgrayartlab. You can subscribe to the show on the iTunes Music Store or stream it directly on Stitcher Radio. And you can find us on Tumblr. We're lightgrayartgallery.tumblr.com. Awesome. Well, thanks, you guys. And the next time that you're forced with deciding if you're going to look in the box, I think you should probably do it. So, so your face melts. So your face melts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so melt your face and we'll talk with you soon.